Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, while you're finding your place, I do want to mention I am really, really excited about December the 17th. Mark your calendars. Do not miss that day. Uh, Our drama team is coming back this year uh, and doing a Christmas drama, Unscrooged. Um, This is a classic, and I'm sure there's going to be some new things uh, added to it. Uh, But if you were here uh, many years ago when they did this, it was an outstanding uh, job they did. So please mark your calendars. Uh, For December the 17th, it'll be that evening at 6 p.m., our Highland Drive Salt and Light drama team will present that drama to us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 this morning. I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited at what the Lord wants to do in our hearts today. Let's pray together, and we're going to get into the Word this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to again open the Bible. And God, let it speak to our hearts. God, I pray today that you would work in each heart, each life. And God, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, that we would leave changed and challenged and motivated to serve you this week. In Christ's name, God's people said, Amen. We are approaching the end of this letter to the church of Thessalonica. And Paul desires in this last section that we have arrived at here in 1 Thessalonians 5 to show these Christians a picture of a church that is a community of faith. How should we conduct ourselves together as Christians in the community of the church, this community of faith? Uh, Throughout this letter, Paul has addressed uh, aspects of this. In chapter 4, he talked about a life that is pleasing to God. And then he reminded us that we need to see our trials and sufferings from the perspective of the second coming of Christ. How many believe this morning Jesus is coming again? And that should have impact every day of our lives, knowing that He is coming again. It gives us hope for each day. That hope that He talked about, about the second coming, is our basis of our, the basis of our encouragement to one another in this community. These are examples of how we should live as Christians. He's been sharing with us. But now in this last section, Paul turns his attention to life within the community, life within the church. The church is described as a family in the New Testament. And we are to treat each other as brothers and sisters. The idea of the family of God is an important theme for Paul in this section. In fact, you'll see five different times he refers to them as brethren, as family. You'll notice that this section is not a a list of do's and don'ts. But this section describes a community of faith, the way brothers and sisters should live together in the church because they've been united in Christ. But because of the gospel, this is what life should look like for the believer. There should be a family togetherness that encompasses the church of Jesus Christ. Paul gives us some helpful family guidelines for the congregation. And Paul groups these guidelines under three sections regarding congregational responsibility toward the pastor, toward each other, and toward worship. Our focus this morning will be on the relationship between the pastor and his people. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and look at verse 12. He says, But we request you of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. This morning, let me begin by saying this as we start to uh, open this text together. It's awkward for me to open up about the role of pastor and what God's called me to. But I'm called to preach the whole counsel and the Holy Spirit inspired it, so therefore I should not avoid verses 12 and 13. I think most in this room would agree with that statement. Hopefully all of you would. So God's led me today as I, as I uh, struggled with the text for this week because it's what was next. God has led me at this moment to trust you. So you're about to hear a sermon in a style that I've never preached before. And I'm trusting you this morning because I'm going to be as vulnerable and as transparent as I can be to let you into my life, my calling. Most pastors I know deeply struggle with this. The last thing they want to do is to talk about themselves. Uh, the last thing they want to do sometimes is to let people in to what God has called them to do. But I'm going to be very real and very authentic with you today so that you can better and I can better serve you and you can better pray for and serve and love me as your pastor. First and foremost, I want to say I'm humbled that God would call me to be a pastor. I'm certainly not deserving of that calling. In no way do I think I am. Shortly after deciding to follow Jesus Christ as a 17-year-old pastor's son, God began stirring my heart for the ministry. And honestly, as a young man, 18 years old, 19 at the time, ministry was the last thing I wanted to do because I grew up in it. It's just a very real statement. I did not want a pastor because I saw what my family, what my parents had to deal with growing up. And I ran from it for as long as I could as God began calling me. My first sermon I preached in Selma Pentecostal Free Will Baptist Church. It was one of those churches that kind of covered everything. The sermon lasted about 15 minutes, and I was finished. Some would say, oh, I wish that we'd go back to those days. <laughs> but as God began working in my heart and life and convicting me of running from Him for years, as I spent 12 years finding success at Chick-fil-A, God put me in the ministry there's nothing I would rather do or I could see myself doing. I'm right where God wants me in Lincolnton, North Carolina. I'm as committed as I've ever been to Highland Drive Church. Uh, nobody's running me off until God is through with me. That is who I will obey. Uh, God will have to show me he wants me somewhere else. God has not done that. Uh, my prayer is that I retire in Lincolnton, North Carolina, uh, as long as the church will, will have me. I'm thankful for this church, this ministry to which God has called me. I know I'm doing what God calls me, has called me to do, and I'm so thankful for that. Things I will mention today are in no way to seek pity. Uh, last thing a pastor wants is a pity party. In no way is it to complain, simply to be authentic and real. You're going to hear some real statements today from me. There are some things you can only understand, I'm well aware of this, that you can only understand if you're in this role. There are things my wife cannot relate to, even though she's a pastor's wife. That's why it's good for a pastor to have other pastors he can lean on. Tonight, you'll be introduced to many of those men in my life that I can lean on, that I can be human with. 
pastors truly understand one another and the call in their lives. Look, I've been around the church my whole life, literally. There's never a time that I was not in church. As I've observed through the years, there are two extremes that churches go to in regarding in their relationship with the pastor. Number one, they, the, they exalt the pastor. Leaders are placed on a pedestal that's not biblical, it's not scriptural. They're exalted, but the second way that churches do is they are evaded. The church wants nothing to do with the leadership within the church. They often avoid them, want nothing to do with them. These two extremes are always temptations for any church, to exalt or to evade. But Paul wants us to understand that neither of these is correct. God's called and placed leaders within His church, pastors and elders, to shepherd Christ's people. And Christ has delegated to these pastors the responsibility. He's dedicated to me, delegated to me as your pastor, the responsibility of oversight of his sheep. And this morning, I want you to notice three ways Paul describes these leaders. The first thing he mentions is that pastors are called to struggle. Look at verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who watch. Diligently labor among you. Diligently labor among you. The ministry is a life of work. Growing up, I heard the jokes about pastors. Uh, in fact, I heard one this morning. And I know some of it is all done in good fun and, 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 and sincere, just seeking to have a good time. But let me encourage you. There's a lot that is said about pastors that is deeply insulting. I don't know men. I, look, there's very few people that I know that work harder and longer than pastors. Pastors work very, very hard. And they often hear deeply insulting jokes and things that, that can rub them the wrong way. But see, being a pastor is a call to also be a punching bag. And I'm very aware of that. That's why pastors have thick skin. If you don't have thick skin, you don't make it in the pastorate very long. Because truthfully, if you don't have thick skin, there's something you're tempted to leave over about every week of your life. Don't ever say disrespectful things about men God has called to the ministry. This Greek word for labor in other places in the Bible is used for farming. It's the word kapiao, and it means to feel fatigue. Those who diligently get exhausted, those who feel fatigue, who work hard to toil is also another way it's translated. Ministers work hard in preaching, in teaching of the Word of God, preparing messages, uh, visiting the sick, counseling, instructing, baptizing, marrying, burying, responding to tragedy, sometimes multiple at the same time. Hey, can I stop right here and say this? Did you realize I'm not, I'm not present? Hey, look, and I'm not omniscient either. I can't know about something unless I'm told. And I don't spend all my time on Facebook. Somebody say amen. Call me a little old-fashioned, but I still think we ought to talk to each other. Somebody say amen. Often pastors are expected to be in multiple places at once and know things that they've never been told. The work of a pastor is hard. It's physical. It's physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting. Again, I'm just being real with you this morning. The pastoral profession often doesn't get, re get recognized as a high-risk profession. 
because of some of the, the, the emotional struggles of myself I've been through in 10 years, especially within the last five, I had to start doing some reading and some talking to my doctor to try to reconcile in my mind some things because I was, trying to, I was, I was telling myself, look, if you're a good Christian, you're not going to have these thoughts. <laughs> if you're a good Christian, look, good night, you're a pastor. But yet you're having these depressive, these invading thoughts. So I had to spend some time reading, spend some time talking to my doctor. Danielson Institute at Boston University said that 55% of clergy had scores that indicated that PTSD may be a concern, and almost 35% met the criteria for probable PTSD diagnosis. They had a list of high-risk professions that were at risk for post-traumatic stress disorder. And after their research, if they were to add pastors to this list, pastors would have had the highest risk above those in law enforcement, EMS, fire, and military, would have had the highest risk at developing post-traumatic stress among all other listed professions. Hey, you do realize that one in five pastors suffer from depression. Criticism, especially criticism over time, can play into a pastor's fears and insecurities, and leads to devastating consequences. Suicide among pastors, men like myself, is a very real problem. You realize that. The CDC reported in 2019 that suicide among pastors had reached a 50-year high in America. Pastors are deciding they cannot meet the expectations. They can no longer handle the weight of what they are being expected to do. Therefore, they just end it. LifeWay Research reports that today pastors are lonelier and more depressed than they've ever been. 10% of pastors admit to contemplating suicide. 42% of pastors are contemplating quitting the ministry. 1,700 leave the ministry every month somewhere in the world. See, pastors not only deal with their own pain, their own stresses of leading their own family, their own marriages, but they are called to bear the weight of an entire community's grief Divisions, anxieties, tragedies, and etc. Pastors are rarely checked on to, to, to see how they're really doing. To be told they're appreciated that they're being prayed for. Most of the time, pastors are only contacted if someone else needs something. The work of the ministry is hard work is the point. That's the, what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is stressing in this passage. He tells us, look, pastors are called to struggle. The second thing is pastors are called to serve. Pastors are called to serve. Pastors have dedicated their lives to serving their people. Pastors have a responsibility to shepherd the people of God. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, and have charge over you, the last part, in the Lord, and give you instruction." Now, please understand, this is not a statement when Paul says, have charge over you. This is not a statement of control and power that Paul is giving here. This isn't a dictator. Like, I'm fully aware that there are pastors standing in pulpits who have its, uh, this mentality, it's my way or no way. Many are tempted to lead in this fashion. Are there corrupt men who stand in pulpits and preach every week? Yes, there are. Of course there are. This is not what Paul is saying. This is not a charge of power. 
You see, gospel ministry must follow the pattern of Jesus Christ Himself, who led by what? Serving. He led by serving. Jesus taught that whoever wanted to be first in God's kingdom would be last. And at one point He told His disciples in Matthew 10, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, He told them. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Forever the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. You see, this is the call of the pastorate. The call to serve sacrificially your people that God's called you to. To be first, you must be slave of all. Look, I am called as a pastor. This is a reminder for me. I am called to give of my life to you, the body, the, the, the people to which God has called me. And I'm to lead by serving, not lording or being some dictator. Pastors are called to struggle. They're called to serve. But don't you notice number three, Pastors are called to step on toes. Pastors are called to step on toes. In verse 12 it says, and give you instruction. And give you instruction. This word translated in instruction, it means to warn. It means to gently reprove. It means to admonish, to caution against something. And I'll tell you in time we hear this phrase that I have on the screen, step on toes. This is one of the most difficult parts of the calling, but it is essential. You see, the Christian life is an ethical life. We believe the gospel and trust Christ, and because of our belief, our behavior is different. How many believe Christians ought to be different than the world around them? We don't embrace the cultural, philosophical way of the world. We embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, salvation without a lifestyle change was just an emotional moment. I'll say that again. Salvation without a lifestyle change was just an emotional moment. Christians are called to live differently. And Christian leaders are charged with the responsibility to instruct believers in their conduct, their godliness, to lead godly lives, to warn, to rebuke. This happens when the preacher uh, preaches and warns the congregation against bad behavior and its consequences. In this very letter before us today, the Apostle Paul himself uh, rebukes the disorderly or the unruly. And he does it again in the next letter to this church. You see, God gives me as a pastor a deep love that I really can't describe to you for my congregation, for the people that God's called me to. So much so that like a parent that loses sleep over their child's poor decisions, often I will lay awake at night not able to sleep because God has burdened my heart for someone in our church. And I'll spend time praying for that person. When people make decisions that do not honor God, pastors lose sleep over those things because we are called to instruct. We are called to care. We are called to watch over. Pastors are to be cautious in how they admonish and instruct. God continually reminds me, Luke, you need to be compassionate. Luke, you need to be direct. How many are tired of preachers beating around the bush today? Somebody say amen. We need to be direct. We need to be loving. 
Admonishment does not justify being harsh. There must be a concern for the person that is receiving the admonishment. A pastor who loves God and loves his people will give godly counsel regardless of the consequences. I've made a commitment before God and I make a commitment before you to never, ever, ever lead you away from the Word of God. Because I understand I will give a greater account to God for my call on my life. And I take that very, very seriously. In some cases, if the behavior does not change within the church, the leaders of the church will have to take the next step beyond admonishment and possibly discipline someone in the congregation because of unrepentant sin. That was not some concocted idea by some legalistic pastor decades ago. That's literally in the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14, Paul said this to this very church. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Look, this type of discipline is not popular, but it's scriptural and it's been a part of the history of church ministry. And it's a crucial aspect of our growth and holiness. John H. Grant said this, the neglect of this discipline diminishes the glory of the church. Everybody recognize this is God's church. This is his church. And he's coming for a pure bride. He's coming for a pure church, not a filthy church. In the 19th century, John L. Dagg said this, It has been remarked that when discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. Look, I agree that the church, and I like these, 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 these nice little phrases we have today, I agree the church is not a hotel for, for uh, saints. I agree with that statement. It is not a hotel for saints, but neither is it a hangout for sinners. It's not. See, sin should not be made to feel comfortable in the congregation of Christ's church. Look, if sinners come to our church and they ever leave here feeling accepted or affirmed, then y'all need to show me the door as your pastor. Because I'm not preaching the truth of the Word of God. Because Jesus died to save Died to save sinners. We are God's called out, literally. We are God's saints, God's holy ones. Sin should not be accepted in the assembly. Rather lovingly confronted, cautioned against, warnings issued. Today it seems a sin is celebrated and godliness is shunned, and this should not be so among God's people. James 5 says this, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. Same Greek word used in Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. Will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude from sins. A multitude of sin. I want you to notice verse 13 in our text. He says this regarding pastors. Look, the pastors are called to struggle. They're called to serve. They're called to step on toes. In verse 13, And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. He says, esteem them very highly in love. See, believers are not to exalt pastors to a position only reserved for God. They're not to despise pastors. But they're to offer respect and esteem the minister because of the work that God has called him to. Look, even in the midst of disagreements and difficulty, how many believe this to be true? That there should be a combination of respect and affection even when we disagree. And if this is the attitude within the congregation, 
we will experience the result Paul, Paul describes in verse 13. We'll live at peace with one another. We'll live at peace with one another. See, often pastors and churches go head to head. I've seen this. Pastors and churches go head to head and destruction, division and sin and devastation enter into the body of Christ. Look, there's not a church split that's happened that I know about that was God-honoring in any way. This doesn't reflect the gospel. If we believe the gospel and we believe that Christ has forgiven us, we should be able to work through our difficulties with respect for one another. Pride always destroys peace, but the gospel brings peace and wholeness and humility. So as I finish up this morning, how can you help your pastor? Again, I'm trusting you this morning with this message. And I'm asking for you to be prayerful for me, for our church, for one another, and let God have His way in your heart. How can you help your pastor? Well, you need to know your pastor. You need to know him. There was a list that was put together, just real thoughts, and I, I, could, I related to these. And I personalized them, added to, took away from things that maybe didn't apply. But the first thing is this. Things to know about your pastor. Number one, I love God and I love you a lot. I love God and I love you a lot. Please be mindful. Second thing is this. I am a painfully limited human being. I'm a painfully limited human being. Be realistic. This may shock you, maybe not, but a very real statement, letting you in. I carry with myself a pretty low view week in and week out of my performance. Most pastors do. Be kind. Number four, I wish, I wish I was a better preacher. Be awake. <laughs> Number five, I really do want God's best for you and your family. You have no idea how much I desire for every person in this room to live in the power and glory of the Holy Spirit. Be open-hearted. Number six, my work knows no time or, or locational boundaries. Me and Amanda went to Carowinds recently with the kids. Can you believe it? That I got Amanda on, what is it called? Cobra Strike. Is that what it's called? Copperhead Strike. Can y'all believe she rode that with me? You see, what happened, what happened was back when we were dating, she would get on all that stuff with me. You know, she wanted to hold my hand and get close to me and all that. Once I got married, all that went out the door. She doesn't hook me, so no more roller coasters. So I guilt-tripped her into riding that one with me. I got Hannah on fury. I looked at my wife, and I said something that day. And I look again, I'm not saying this to complain. I, I'm not. It's just the nature of what God has called me to do. I said, it felt good today to have what feels like a day off. 
Because I know my calling knows no locational boundaries. I'm on call all the time. I get phone calls sometimes around the clock. And look, I'm thankful for what God's called me to. But be mindful of that. Be patient. Here's number seven. Look, I hear much more negative information than I do positive. Be encouraging. I serve in a vocation in which few remain. Your pastor's not above quitting. And I know that. Be prayerful. I have chosen a highly leadership-intensive call. Be leadable. I need help. Be available. My God-given vision for our church and for my and, and, and myself is much bigger than me or our church. Be faith-filled. I'm a big dreamer. I want to personally meet all the needs of everybody in this room, but I know I can't. And sometimes that grieves me that I can't. Be understanding. I'm going to say some dumb things every now and again. Be forgiving. My family is patient with you, so please be patient with them. Be conscientious. I'm greatly encouraged when you're here. Be faithful. I'm passionate for God's Word to be made practical to you. Be hungry. I long for church to be your spiritual oasis. Be loving. I dream, I literally dream for you and your family's spiritual health. Be receptive. I need. It's not that I want, but I need, and I do want. I need to hear you say, I'm praying for you. Be interceding. Number 20, I am just a regular guy. And there's not a pastor I know that doesn't long for authenticity. Now listen to what I'm about to say. There's no people group on the planet that people are more fake with than they are a pastor. That's why I don't often, I don't tell people I'm a pastor because I got tired of people's fakeness. I can be talking to a guy and he's cussing like a storm. And then I tell him I'm a preacher. Oh, God bless you. I'm like, dude, look, just going back to cussing. Just be real with me. Hey, look, if your preferences are different than mine, don't hide from me. Don't hide from me. Be yourself in front of me. Be authentic with me. Because I'm sure you want that for me as well. Be authentic. I understand. I told somebody one time, I said, look, most of what I'm fed as a pastor is fluff. And pastors are not, uh, we weren't, you know, we may have been born at, last, uh, at night, but we weren't born last night. We're perceptive individuals. Be real. Be authentic. I'm a regular guy. You can be yourself around me. Number 21, this may shock you. But there are times I don't feel like being here. 
whether it be just exhaustion, whether it be an autoimmune disease that currently is active in my life that I'm having to change medicines on, whether it's having small children like to stay up all night. I want everyone to listen to what I'm about to say. I do not attend church because I'm a pastor. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not faithful to church. I don't get up on Sunday morning and come to church after the kids have been up all night or after ulcerative colitis has been painful and, 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 and making life miserable for me. I don't get up and come to church because I'm a pastor. I get up and come to church because I'm a Christian, and so should you. The most important thing on my agenda every single week is worshiping with you. Not because I'm your pastor, but because I'm a Christian. Because Jesus is worthy. I don't witness because I'm a pastor. I witness because I'm a committed Christian. I seek to live morally not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a, because I'm a committed Christian. I want everyone to know I do what I do and the way I choose to live my life as a dad, as a husband, as a man, because I'm a committed Christian. God's called me to the office of pastor. So I say all that to say, be committed. Be committed. I want to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to pray. Invitation a little bit different today. I'm just going to invite you to pray for our church. And can I invite you to pray for me as your pastor? That God would strengthen me, that God would encourage me, and enable me to keep doing what he's called me to do. Pastors are called to struggle, to serve, and to step on toes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. God, I do thank you for the call you've placed on my life. And God, I just want to do it faithfully. And God, I want to honor you with my life. And Father, I need your help. I need your empowering strength to enable me to continue to do what I do. God, my family, Lord, I pray that you would enable and strengthen them as they are a part of the call you've placed on my life. God, there's so many times that I fail. There's so many times, God, I mess up. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. God, the battle with the flesh is real. And God, help me, God, in, in these moments, as I'm reminded through this text today, uh, the weight of what you've called me to. Uh, Lord, help me, God, to uh, be ever dependent upon you not to seek to accomplish things in my own wisdom or my own efforts. Father, be with our church, Lord, each person in this room. God, you have a purpose and a plan for their lives. God, help them to be committed because, God, Jesus is worthy. Lord, help us to be encouraging to one another. Help us to be a community of faith that's pleasing, that's making a difference. 
for the sake of the gospel. Father, we love you today. In Christ's name we pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, I just want to invite you to follow Jesus. If you've never decided to follow Christ, would you repent right now and believe the gospel? He loves you. He gave himself for you. You can't do it on your own. Would you decide in this moment to turn from Jesus or turn from your sin and turn to Jesus? Repent and believe. He died on the cross for all of your sins so that you could be saved. Would you please do that today before it's eternally too late? I ask Christians today, how's your walk with the Lord? Are you committed in your life of faith? Are you growing, maturing? Are you allowing God to use you? I encourage you. Spend some time with the Lord in prayer. Can I ask you today, pray for me. Please pray for me as your pastor. That God would protect me, would keep me from temptation, would give me endurance and perseverance, would increase my love for Him and for you as I continue to do what God's called me to do. I invite you to pray this morning. Father, help us in this moment be obedient to what you lead us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for working in our hearts today. God, use us for your glory. God, we ask your blessing 
over the time of worship tonight. Uh, Lord, as we gather with our sister churches, Lord, as a community of faith, as we worship Jesus tonight, Lord, help us to be there. Lord, to, to not miss out on that blessing. We ask your blessing over the speaker, my brother Josh. Lord, work, use him tonight uh, to empower, to encourage, uh, Lord, uh, your church. God, we love you. We thank you for this word today. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. Hey, look, real fast before we are dismissed, uh, thank you for letting me be real and honest and, and transparent today. Um, it means so much to me. Thank you for your attention this morning. Look, I, I know of a couple of families that, in, that are in need of groceries, okay, that, that, that come to our church. If you are interested in helping in any way with that, get with me after the service. Um, look, we have a community. Uh, we have many that are hurting, deeply hurting. Um, some can't even, don't even know how to feed themselves, um, don't have the means. Um, the church, we are called. We are called to help meet those needs. And so if you can help with that, um, please see me after church, and, uh, and I will make arrangements with you. We will make something happen to make sure people are taken care of. And so uh, please keep that in mind and be prayerful. Uh, look, today as you're out and about, if you see a veteran, follow the Holy Spirit's leading on what you can do to be a blessing to that veteran, okay? Um, be giving. Um, I thank God for the men who stood earlier, um, for those that were out here serving, uh, that have served our country so we can do what we do. I thank God for the freedoms we have. Be mindful of veterans today as you are out and about, and be sure to express, not just today, but anytime you see a veteran, express your appreciation uh, to them for their service and their sacrifice for our country. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed.